Blog you want me to call
up after everybody's been to the hospital. Uh, we appreciate everything you do. Okay, we got everybody. Okay, I had him on. I heard Frank. I heard Frank a minute ago. Had him on. He okay. couldn't hear me. He couldn't hear me. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. but we're on now. So. Okay. Yeah. Roger, you want to hear <laughs> dedication? What did Frank say? Yeah. I couldn't understand. I, I don't that. know. I couldn't hear what he said either. I said, "Do you want to go go ahead with that dedication?" He must be talking to somebody oh, yeah. else. Yeah, no, no. He's talking about uh, Sid Mark. We can do that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. We're already on, Don. Oh, okay. We're on. Uh, the uh, Don and Don and I uh, both, uh, and and Frank, we all want to send out the sad news, if you haven't heard in the Philadelphia area especially, of the passing of the great Sid Mark the mark of jazz a radio legend don uh, will talk about him because he worked with him at wwdb radio uh i met him several times when i was uh, telling don the story and frank uh when i was in college two of my buddies and i were out on a saturday night we decided to go over to see if we could uh, uh see sid he had us in for an hour to two hours uh in a show on a saturday night as i said Different time, different place, different world. Don? Yeah, no question. I worked with Sid for about 25 years, as you mentioned, WWDB, but uh, we also did a lot of opportunity shows in between. Uh, he was just a terrific, terrific guy. He created, for those person, people across the country, he created uh, Friday with Frank and Sunday with Sinatra. And uh, they were two shows that... Uh, really stole the headlines in Philadelphia for the better part of 40 years. And uh, just a terrific, terrific guy, a great radio personality, and he's certainly going to be well missed in Philadelphia. Roger? Yeah, also he uh, did a TV show uh, from Channel 12 at the old uh, Channel 6 studios, which were legendary because that was the beginning of Bandstand. And uh, I was Great. there a number of times for that show. And one night, uh, Maynard Ber- Ferguson and his uh, band were there. Just an unbelievable guy. And uh, I know in New York, William B. Williams gave him chairman of the board. Uh, but uh, I can remember also, uh, Don, you remember, and Frank, you probably remember too. Uh, he went into WYNY on Sunday nights in New York and did a show. So he was on Friday, Great. Saturday, and Sunday doing Sinatra in two cities. Yeah, and he was syndicated all across the country uh, uh, many, many times uh, at stations that uh, uh, Doug Miles and I worked with uh, down here in the Sarasota area. Uh, We carried uh, Sid's show, and it was a great pleasure to have him 
uh, with us down here. So a terrific, terrific guy. One other note I'd like to make, Doug Miles, uh, who has joined us many, many times, sports personality here in Sarasota. His mom passed away uh, three or four days ago at 101 years of age. So oh, wow. I'd like to also make, uh, make reference to that. Doug, a terrific guy, and his mom's going to be well missed. The hunch. She had a great life, 101 and a half, so you can't beat that. No, absolutely. Now, is Roy on with us? Yes, sir. I am. Okay. I didn't know whether, Frank, did you have a dedication? We sort of got a mix of it to start. Anything you wanted to touch on? No, we just want to do the Sid Mark thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Roy Cummings, Roy Cummings, as always, our guest from Tampa, Florida. And, of course, Roger, you're hearing now from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm in Sarasota, Florida for another couple of weeks, and then I'll be on the Jersey Shore. But, uh, Roy, a, a host of things to talk about. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the Flyers because the Chief is going to be on with us in the next half hour, although I would like you to touch on last night's game and, and Coop's a uh, post-game press conference. I don't know if you had a chance to see much of it or all of it, but uh, I know we'll talk about it with the Chief as well. Your thoughts? Yeah, I didn't see John Cooper's press conference, but uh, I know uh, the situation of the game is one that, you know, is a bit, a bit problematic for Tampa Bay. First of all, let's say this. For whatever reason, the Red Wings, prior to even Steve Eiserman being, being there and being their general manager, uh, president of the team, uh, have always given the lightning fits, or they have just in, in recent past here over the last two, three, four years, they've given the lightning fits. And last night was no different. Um, they seem to have a, a bit of a number on the lightning. I'm not quite sure exactly what it is, but um, they seem uh, capable of exposing some of their flaws. And they did it again last night. Uh, a couple of turnovers by the defense corps, uh, you know, at their own blue line. And the next thing you know, the puck's in the net. And, um, you know, right now the Lightning are just struggling to really find their game. We've been saying this now for a couple of weeks, and um, I think it's, you know, we're down to the last, you know, half dozen games here for Tampa Bay. Uh, they got one tomorrow night. They got one uh, Saturday, and, and then they're going to wrap it up next week. So they've got to figure this thing out in a hurry, or you're going to see the Stanley Cup uh, reigning two-time Stanley Cup champions really struggle to repeat because right now they're uh looks like they're they're headed towards a, a series against toronto and uh toronto will fill up the net against you if you can't uh if you can't get things straight and right now i mean it's not the system it's just pure execution and right now the lightning just aren't playing very well there's, there's a gap uh, between the defense and the, the forwards way too big um they seem to be just allowing teams to come into their zone uh, kind of dictate the play a little bit. That's not like Tampa Bay. Um, so they've got some issues they got to take care of here. And, uh, you know, I, if you have, if you remember what or know what John Cooper said, I'd be interested to hear it because two things he said. First of all, let me jump back to your last point. When the Maple Leafs are coming tomorrow, of course, and Anton Matthews, who is the lead scorer in the National Hockey League, as they always say in the NHL, Lower lower back problems. They never say what's wrong, but they said he was definitely not going to play tomorrow night, which is a little bit of a break uh, for the Lightning. Uh, Coop said that he thought they had the game well in hand and played well the first period and then fell apart. And he said, uh, as you just pointed out a second ago, uh, defense has really been a killer. And uh, they just, uh, 
They they gave up the puck. They did all the things you can't do consistently in the second or third period. And uh, that, that's pretty much what he harped on and how disappointed he was with the way things came together and uh, and the way the game turned out. Yeah, and, and as I said, that's been an issue now for the last two, three weeks. Um, they have lost several games now to teams that are certainly, you know, not playoff caliber teams. I mean, they've lost the playoff caliber teams too. Let's not keep, you know, let's not forget that. But they have they have struggled against teams that uh, are not playoff caliber. They struggled a little bit uh, against Anaheim. They lost to Montreal. Um, you know, you just you, they're just not playing a, a good brand of hockey right now. And um, you can't say that it's all about you know the fact that a couple of their players have kind of lost their scoring touch. Uh, Braden Point has really struggled to score. Andre Palat still hasn't figured out how to put the puck in the net consistently. Uh, Nikita Kucherov's coming around a little bit. But he struggled as well. But that the, the bigger problem, as Cooper alluded to, and, and as I said, is the defense. There, there's a system in place there, and it's a very aggressive defensive uh, scheme. They usually try to, uh, you know, keep teams, you know, kind of, kind of force them to slow down in, in, in the neutral zone. And uh, right now, teams are just going right through there and into their end and uh, dots and uh, and creating pressure on the goaltender and. You know, Vasilevsky's as good as there is in the league. There's no, I'm not sure there's a better goaltender in the league right now, but even the best uh, are going to give up goals when they're constantly being bombarded and they're facing, uh, you know, second, third shots uh, in their own end and, and odd man rushes the way the Lightning are giving them up. So a lot of work right now has to be done. The good news is they've done it. I mean, they've done this before. They know the system. It hasn't changed. It's been tweaked here and there at times, but um, the system is the same. The players are basically the same. Um, but uh, they've got a lot. They got some work to do. They got to get their heads focused, uh, or they could be uh, a surprise exit early in the uh, early in the playoffs. And again, if it's Toronto, that'll be a history-making exit because uh, it'll be Toronto's first uh, uh, first first round victory in the playoffs in God 30, 40 years. So uh, maybe more. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's last night they were looking. They were looking for a sweep. Uh, they won the first game in overtime, then won the second two games, but very, very closely contested one-goal games, and then, of course, got knocked off last night by a single goal. But, uh, Roger, let's go to you in, in Atlanta. Uh, I don't want to harp too much on the Flyers because I know that the, the Chiefs going to talk about it the next half hour. Uh, if you want to jump to another topic or something else you have in mind, go to it. Well, you, you know, we can talk about the uh, NFL draft uh, coming up. Uh, and uh, I guess it's going to be a, uh, an extravaganza in Las Vegas. Uh, I was listening to NFL radio and the gentleman who's putting, I guess, the executive director. And I'll tell you, Roy, it's just like a uh, – seems like it's like a Super Bowl with everything they're going to have in Las Vegas for the draft. Yeah, they have uh, – look, the, the NFL has obviously specialized for years in turning the draft into an absolute showcase event. And uh, uh, you put it in Las Vegas and you can just uh, – you can increase that showcase, uh, you know, multiple times. And, and obviously they have done it. They, they, they're going to put on a show. And what's interesting is that, you know, it, it's not a great draft. From what I'm hearing from scouts, right? Um, it, it's not one of those drafts where, you know, you've got – you know, you, you've got, you know, obviously, you know, the first round is going to be extremely interesting. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a draft that's a little bit deeper in terms of some talent as opposed to being really star quality. 
Um, I think a lot of teams believe they can get guys who can eventually make their team, you know, as late as the fourth and fifth round here. But there aren't really a lot of star quality players coming out in this draft, and which is a bit surprising. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, more and more young players, you know, juniors, sophomores sometimes, are, are leaving school early to, to get into the draft and declare themselves might have something to do with that. They don't have a chance to become star caliber players necessarily at the college level, and uh, we're kind of seeing that happen. But, you know, as, as always happens in the draft, uh, you know, three, four teams at least, uh, if not five or six, will uh, overdraft quarterbacks. That'll be the uh, that'll be the focus, and we'll see. Uh, you know, a couple of defensive ends will draw some attention. Somebody will uh, obviously uh, make a pick that upsets their fan base, and somebody else will steal a player. And uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's always interesting. It's always a fun night, uh, fun weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, the the NFL has uh, clearly uh, figured out how to showcase this event. And now that they're going to have it in Vegas, um, they're going to showcase it as big as it's ever been. Yeah, Roger, in Atlanta, what are you looking for in Atlanta? And uh, before we go back to to uh, uh, Roy and find out what he thinks about the Buccaneers, how about Atlanta? Where do you stand? Well, you know, I think they could uh, go for a quarterback, okay, the, uh, because they, uh, you know, signed, uh, uh, other, you know, the uh, – the guy that they signed, he, they signed him up for two years, but that's not the future. Mariota, Marcus Mariota, yeah, Mariota, yeah, Mariota. But um, I, w- I was going to say that I heard Bill Polian the other day, uh, really going through like each position, defense, offense, and talking about that big lineman at, uh, that was from Georgia. Who I agree, Roy. The these players, these kids. They are kids. They need to stay that last year, you know, fourth year, some fifth, but fourth year like he did. And, of course, it was to win a national championship. But uh, Bill Polian's uh, view is that he will be probably a first-round pick, okay, but will be a nose tackle. And something I, I just looked at him as a mountain of a man, and Bill uh, was point was it depends on if he loses some weight it could change everything. He doesn't think that he does that kind, has that kind of body. But I mean, it was a very insightful uh, description uh, of uh, Davis and and also of of, of uh, defensive linemen. You know about the, whether they can. Uh, the, it's really natural for them to have that weight and size, uh, or w- whether they will lose some, and that can change uh, the positioning. Roy, what about the Bucks? Yeah, I'm sorry, what was that? What about the Bucks? Yeah, well, I, uh, defensive lineman I think is uh, right at the top of their wish list, um, along with probably offensive linemen. Um, the thing is, you know, when you're picking where the Bucks are, you know, in the bottom third, you know, you've got to let the draft come to you. They could get aggressive, and this might be a year to do it. This might be a year where you package a couple of picks and try to move up into the top 10 or 15. But, as I said, uh, the belief around the league, uh, the prevailing theory around the league is that this is a deeper draft, uh, not necessarily a star-studded draft. And if that's the case, well, I know for a fact that Jason Light loves to pick up extra picks and instead would probably move down uh, and try to pick up an extra pick or two in the top four or five rounds so that he can uh, grab some other players that – 
uh, that uh, can fill out his roster at some point. Again, the Bucks aren't in need of anybody to really step in now. Um, they, they could, I mean, if somebody could, that would help, especially at defensive end. If Jason Pierre-Paul doesn't come back, we'll see what happens there. If Ndamukong Sue doesn't come back, we'll see what happens there. Uh, they're obviously down uh, the best guard, best offensive lineman they have with uh, uh, Ellie Marpet leaving uh, the game. So they've got some needs. And, um, you know, and uh, you know what? They, they, they lost their best safety as well, Jordan Whitehead in free agency. So um, I could see them taking a safety early on in this game uh, or in this draft. Uh, I, I think, again, where they're at, you kind of got to let the draft come to you unless you see yourself, uh, you know, moving up a couple of spots and uh, you can steal a player from somebody else that you think uh, is really going to help you out. And I could see them doing that. Again, where they pick, uh, it's a good spot to get the offensive lineman that they need. It's a good spot to get uh, a young defensive end. They did that. They went that way last year with Joe Tryon. Uh, they could do it again. It's a good place to pick up a safety, even in the first round. So we'll see what happens. But this draft, I think, is going to, as time goes on, you're going to see who does the best job in the second, third, and fourth round. That's going to determine who does well in this draft, I think. Not so much the first round, but who does well in second and third and fourth round. I think that's going to determine the winners of this draft. Roger, we'll start with you because, to me, the National Hockey League has some trouble in front of them. First of all, the episode with Snyder down in Washington, What's going to happen there with the federal uh, uh, government looking into some of the, the dealings he's made with his financial things? And the other thing is uh, Cleveland bringing in a quarterback that they uh, gave 300 and some million dollars to. And uh, he's at the workout camp, the early practice he came in yesterday. But they don't even know if he's going to be able to play. And their starting quarterback of last year did not show up. Uh, he's in a turmoil, a lot of uh, uh, very, very uh, – bad comments going back and forth because of what happened there and uh, and what they told him and what they didn't tell him. So, Roger, uh, you jump on those two items first. Well, it's a mess. And Baker Mayfield, uh, I guess he's not uh, you're not seeing any of his commercials uh, at the Brown Stadium uh, at the present time. But uh, it, I, I'm surprised that uh, they haven't made a deal uh, for him. But I guess, I guess what they're planning on is that what happens if Watson ha- gets suspended for uh, six, eight games? Who knows? I mean, and, uh, and, and the, you know, we've talked about the contract because it's only, what, a million dollars this year. They structured it right. that way, figuring that, you know, it would be a, a low hit, whereas if it was next year, it's a big hit uh, on his contract. Well, who's to say that the uh, – uh, the commissioner doesn't decide to go. I, I think he has the uh, legal power uh, to uh, uh, make it next year. Roy, am I right about that or not? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of a lot of questions that they're going to be re- remain unanswered for a long time to come. I don't think we're going to have a, a, a real good read on what's going to happen. Uh, at quarterback with, with the Browns until at least the start of training camp. Um, and it could be later uh, because, again, you've got a, almost certainly you've got a suspension coming down. And uh, then, you know, the question is, okay, well, how, can, you, can you somehow uh, – can you, can you patch things up with Baker Mayfield? Because you know what? Here's the thing. You're going to have to lean on him. You're going to need him because yeah. it's almost – certain that the suspension is going to come down. It's going to be six games, I think, at least. 
it may be more, it may be a year. And uh, I really think that if uh, that, that, that at some point, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's going to have to play quarterback for this team, and maybe you know right off the bat, Deshaun Watson probably will not be there on opening day. I'll be shocked if that's the case. I really will. But um, so they've got some work to do, and they can't, you know. And, and the good, this could be bluster too, but, but to me it makes a lot of sense. The Steelers have come out and basically said, "Hey, if Baker Mayfield is cut, we're going to we're going to pick him up tomorrow. We're signing him mm-hmm. tomorrow." And you don't want to give that guy away to a division rival. You certainly don't, especially a team that's in need of a quarterback. Because, you know, whether you like Baker Mayfield or not, um, he's got talent. And you know what? A lot of guys do better in their second, uh, uh, you know, second city than they do in their first. So we'll see what happens. That's right. Uh, it, it, the Browns have basically turned this situation into an absolute mess. Um, and, and look, I don't. I mean, I guess I do begrudge them somewhat uh, signing uh, Deshaun Watson. I wouldn't have done it um, for the reasons I just said. That you're probably not going to have him for half of this year. Uh, you may not have him for all of this year. Um, I'm not a fan of uh, you know drafting or you know bringing in players who are involved in the kind of things that he's involved in right now. I think you. You know, I think you owe it to your fan base. To, certainly you want to win, but I think you want to win right. Uh, it's just how I believe. And, I, you know, I think you, there's there's players who are, you know, you know, I just, again, I, I think you got to bring in the right kind of people as well. And um, they didn't do that. And, and now they've created, again, what is quite a mess. And I think at some point they're going to have to, they're going to have to turn to Baker Mayfield and say, okay, we need you to go out there. Now, my guess is Baker Mayfield is going to be a pro and he's going to do it. He should. But, um, you know, they've got, uh, again, it's just going to be a real interesting situation how that plays out because uh, I can almost, as I said, I can almost guarantee you they're going to be without Deshaun Watson come opening day. And how about Snyder now? There's a consensus is they want him out. Uh, whether they're going to be able to force him out or not is, uh, is a different story. But they're looking for new ownership in Denver. They want the, the black ownership if they can possibly convince him to do it, but it doesn't look like he's going to. But Snyder's a different story. I mean, he's got so many things going on internally within the organization and within the finances. Can they force him out, or do they have to stand by and see what happens? Well, I don't think they can force him out. I mean, there probably is some kind of a bylaw where he can be voted out as a, as a league owner by a, a vast majority. I'm not sure if that exists, if that kind of rule exists. There has to be some kind of, you know, structure in place that allows an owner to, you know, allows someone to move an owner out, you know, for, for whatever reason it is, uh, if, if you have cause. And I, and I think, you know, this will obviously end up in the courts, but I don't think the NFL is going to make a move here because I think the NFL in essence is hoping that the move is already made by someone else. By that, I mean the courts. I, I think they're hoping that at some point he has found, uh, guilty of some kind of, you know, racketeering, some kind of, you know, situation uh, involving the cheerleaders, uh, the structure of the, the system that he's, he's, you know, created there in uh, – uh, or the, the organization that he's created there in uh, Washington. We'll see how it goes. But as you pointed out, he's got so much going on right now. None of it's good. Um, you know, there's a lot of shady stuff happening inside that organization. And I think at some point um, he'll probably end up, you know, Again, you know, if, if he if if he's guilty of anything, well, I think well, there's your cause right there for uh, dismissal as an owner. So, 
Um, oh. You know, so we'll see how it goes. But I think the league is kind of hoping that the, the courts, in essence, take care of that for them. Roger? Yeah, I, I agree with Roy. I think they're going to have to wait. And uh, then it, it, the the thing is, I, I he would have a lawsuit against the league if they forced him uh, to sell. I really think he would because of the money he's invested. And I, when uh, then he, he bought out the uh, 20% of the ownership, didn't he? And that has also put him in a little bit of a financial uh, problem or difficulty. And uh, so I just think that there's so much uncertainty uh, with that. And the other thing is, uh, the, the thing that hurts is John Gruden uh, got fired because of what came out of that, that, uh, that investigation. And there's been no decision made public of the investigation. I, I, that's, like, ridiculous. Yeah, the NFL well, has been <laughs> really sloppy with these things. I mean, very sloppy. And, uh, look, it, it, it's, it's not hard for the NFL to give itself a black eye. It does it all the time. And uh, they've done it again here. They did it, you know, there was a black eye when you just found out what, you know, was in the, the email uh, stream and the text messages and everything else between Gruden and, Bruce Allen and, and, and Snyder and everybody else, and, and now the way they've handled the investigation is another black eye. And, but back to the Dan Snyder situation, one thing that may be the resolution here is that Dan Snyder is allowed to keep up to maybe 49% of the team, but he no longer has managing interest. He, he, can, have, he can have a majority or you know, just below a majority of the interest, but he can no longer be, in essence, running the, the organization. That's that could be the, the final solution here. Um, and I believe the league has the, uh, uh, the authority to do that, to, to force someone into a, a non-management position of the organization. So, well, again, we'll see how it goes. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an ugly battle in the courts um, <laughs> for Dan Snyder and for the NFL and everybody. It's, it's just going to be, uh, again, it, it's a lot of, there's just a lot of ugly going on in the NFL, um, but maybe we shouldn't be surprised. Roger, you're in the home of champions right there with the Atlanta Braves. What are you? Uh, let's switch to baseball very quickly before we let Roy go. Talk a little about uh, what's going on uh, with uh, the Braves and also what's going on in Tampa. Go ahead, well, Roger. Well, you know, the, the one thing uh, is that the Braves just lost two uh, of three to the Dodgers, and Freddie Freeman uh, hit one of the hardest home runs uh, he's ever hit, and he had a couple of them in the series. So that's over with. Of course, when he uh, comes, I think he does come to Atlanta, uh, you know, because it's not – I guess now they don't uh, play. Just because you play the Dodgers doesn't mean you play them at home, okay, right. the way the whole the whole uh, schedule is set up. But uh, I'll tell you, Roy, I told uh, – I think uh, Frank about this, but I told Don, they gave out uh, a replica – uh, championship ring. It is a replica. I mean to tell you, made by Justin's. It's heavy. It is identical to the <laughs> ring without the diamonds. And I was at the Brave store because uh, and found out they don't sell tickets across the counter. You have to go online. And if you want to buy one of them and not just go to one of the nights they're giving them out. Two hundred and seventy dollars for one of those replicas. Wow! 
like, wow, that's something. <laughs> man, oh, man. Well, I've got, I've but got if you buy a ticket, you go to the game, you get it for free. You get it for free, right. I'll yeah. spend the $50. Hey, I'll tell you what, that's become a great promotion uh, all across sports is giving out the replica rings. The, the Lightning have done it uh, for all of their Stanley Cups, and uh, I've got three of them, and they are really something special, uh, no doubt about it. So uh, I'm not surprised it costs $270. A lot goes into that uh, to create that replica, and it's a, it's a beautiful um, – it's a real nice uh, memento for fans, that's for sure. It's, uh, it's quite the deal. Roger pointed out, I don't know whether you had a chance to see it or not, but they're not just giving it to the fans that uh, are coming in. All the personnel, Roger, explain, all the personnel that work yeah. there actually work for the Braves, even though they're not, at, not in, in Atlanta. That's right. The Gwinnett Stripers, the old Gwinnett Braves, uh, they are owned by the Braves, and they, the, all the full-time employees are employees of the Atlanta Braves. And uh, I was uh, with um, uh, my friend, R.G., and we were at opening night for the Stripers, and it was really a nice presentation, Roy, just like you would see at a major league uh, part. Of course, you didn't have a packed house, but uh, they interviewed or they uh, introduced every member, talked about his job. There were uh, the two executives of the uh, Braves were there to uh, uh, congratulate him. I just thought it was well done that they also, even though they're an adjunct uh, operation, so to speak, but they were they are part of the uh, brave success, and they all got the ring. Yeah, I'll leave you guys with this because I know uh, Chief's coming on, and uh, but uh, you know, major league teams, you know, have done a great job of uh, recognizing that um, it's not just you know the the players on the field and the people in the, in the city that, uh, you know, that, that are, that are responsible for these championships. So a lot goes into it. Um, you know, it, it goes down in your minor league system and it goes throughout your organization. That's uh, it, it really is. It's a team effort that goes uh, beyond the, the, beyond the lines uh, on the field. And uh, it's that way in every organization, no matter the sport, it's that way in the NHL, it's that way in football, uh, it's that way in basketball. And, um, Teams make so much money now that they can afford to to give everybody a little piece of the pie, and uh, and good for them because, uh, again, uh, when everybody's pulling on the same rope, it's a lot easier to uh, repeat and do it again, and and uh, you know get everybody uh, pumped up for that kind of a championship uh, feel. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see uh, how it goes for for Atlanta, but uh, don't don't uh, don't count those Braves out just yet. That's uh, oh, at least no. still pretty much up for grabs. <laughs> Oh, Roy, one, one quick baseball note before you leave us. And Cash seems to be pulling off some of his magic once again. And uh, I watched last night's game. We're going back and forth between the Lightning and, and the last night's game. I'll tell you, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch those Rays play. Yeah, they do. They do things that you just that are very unconventional. I mean, it's been that way for for several years, and. Uh, they just do things that are different, and they're 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 just a, they're just a darn good baseball team. I mean, again, I don't think there's a star on the team uh, that you know the outside of a you know the the diehard baseball fan is going to know. Um, but uh, the kid shortstop, he's going to be a big time player. He he's, is. He's, he's he going to be a real player, Franco. He absolutely is. But again, they're doing it with 
you know, with kind of a, a pitching staff that uh, just seems to be, bait, you know, pulled together with chewing gum and bailing wire, and uh, they, they, they continue to do that and succeed. And, uh, you know, again, they are a fun team to watch because they put the ball in play, take extra bases, they play good defense, and they pitch well. So uh, it's kind of an old-fashioned style baseball, but um, it's, it's good. It's always good baseball, and it's fun to watch, like you said. Well, Roy, as always, first half hour, tremendously interesting for everyone, including us. So thank you very much, as always. We'll do it again next week. Have Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Roy. All well, right, Roy Cummings uh, with, us, with, with us each half, first half hour of our show every Wednesday night. And uh, just a terrific guy to work with and uh, a lot of fun and follows everything in the world of sports. Uh, sports writer in Tampa for so many years. I covered the Lightning from the day one when they first were created, uh, and uh, and and of course same thing with with Tampa when they were the Devil Rays and now with just the Rays, and uh, so just a terrific guy to work with. Uh, Frank, I, I didn't hear. Do we have uh, uh, the Chief with us? We have no Chief. Uh, there's some technical difficulty, but we have Ray Fernandez with us. O- okay, <laughs> well. Well, well, uh, well, he said yeah, he had Ray some Fernandez technical difficulties. Oh, okay. Oh, Ray Fernandez. Okay. Ray, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate that. You jumped in, and uh, always a pleasure. We, we'll get a little boxing news in this world. Uh, what's, the, what's the biggest story right now? Ray, are you there? Uh, Doug is here. I don't hear anything Ray. yet. Ray? Who the hell's Ray? I'm sorry. Jeff. <laughs> it is Doug. Oh, Doug Jeff. Jeff Fernandez. We'll get it right. That's, okay. <laughs> Can you hear us, Jeff? Uh, uh, who the hell's Jeff? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't hear anything. I did. It's. Don, it's it's uh, Doug Fernandez. Oh, Doug Fernandez! Now we're talking. Doug, Fer- not, Doug Fernandez, are you guys, our right hand man? You guys, are you guys high or drunk or both? Well, I, well, Doug. First of all, thanks so much for jumping in. I really appreciate it. Wait, wait, wait. You hear me? You hear me? I hear you now. Yeah, I do hear you now. Oh. I, you I, I wonder who the hell Ray and Jeff was. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's like you, Tom, Dick, and Harry. You've you've had some great stories uh, over the last two weeks here in the Sarasota area with Sarasota Herald, and uh, you you covered the tennis a little bit to talk about the tournament. You covered golf. You you touched on almost everything, and of course, uh, when when you talk about basketball. Uh, you're sort of the right-hand man, you and Dick Weiss. Uh, <laughs> talk more about uh, our, our leading basketball contender here in, this, in the city of Sarasota. So you touch on a little bit of everything day in and day out. Well, I mean, we have uh, what's coming up next month is the uh, Dick Vitale Gala. and uh, it's That's what we're talking Daniel about. Gala. Yeah, and don't you – if you know that Dick has suffered uh, three forms of cancer – over the last year, uh, he's really been bitten. He, he had melanoma, and he, he, he survived that. And then he had a uh, 
a uh, lymphoma along with a uh, a voice dyslapsia, a vocal cord disorder, where he couldn't speak for three weeks. And all this stuff happened month after month right on top of each other. So uh, he just rang the bell, which is what I did when I beat leukemia seven years ago. After you get your done your treatment, you ring the bell, which signifies that you're done your treatment and that the cancer is behind you. So uh, Dick rang the bell two days ago. Uh, and he really has had, hasn't had chance to raise money for his gala because he's been fighting all these illnesses. But uh, he, he's got a full, a full house, a sellout, uh, 900 people. Uh, he's shooting for $7 million, which will put him at $50 million for the 17 years of the gala. And they're auctioning off a silver Porsche. They always auction off a car every year to have raffle tickets. And this year they're offering uh, raffling off a Porsche and selling only 200 chances. For a thousand dollars, so the odds are pretty good if you buy one of these one thousand dollar things that you have a chance, a good shot at winning a hundred thousand dollar Porsche, and it all goes to charity. So the fact that Dick's going to top this money money total when he's been battling cancer himself, I know he's going to touch on this on his pre uh, on his media conference, which was before the gala. I've been to every one of these, and I'm sure he's going to break down because he has basically gone through all of his illusions have gone through. And he's done it a couple of times in a year, and he's beat it. So he can say that he's walked the walk here, and this is the talk of the talk. Doug Fernandez, outstanding columnist, <clears throat> excuse me, outstanding columnist for the Sarasota Herald and does a terrific, terrific job day in and day out. Roger, you're up. Well, you know, Doug, uh, I can remember, uh, I think it was, as I recall, it was in Atlanta. Uh, wasn't it like uh, around the Final Four? Uh, and were during the tournament that he was in an automobile accident and got hurt bad a number of years ago, too. So he's fight, fought cancer. He's fought a lot of, uh, of issues over the years, but he's always been there, and he's always out there leading the way uh, for uh, coaches uh, fighting on cancer and a lot of other wonderful cancer uh, organizations. Well, I mean, like I said, uh... Uh, almost, let's see, almost 25 years ago, let's see, 1993, longer than that, if I remember the Jim Balvano speech, the very first ESPY Awards, Dick was standing there only, a th- only three or four feet away from, from Jimmy Balvano with his famous Don't Give Up speech. And that's basically what triggered the V Foundation for Cancer Research. And every penny right. that Dick has raised through his gala has gone to the, uh, the V Foundation. And if he tops $7 million, that's $50 million, a little, you know, party, one-night party here in Sarasota has raised. And so when you say $50 million over 17 years, okay, this is not New York City, this is not Chicago, this is Sarasota, Florida. So for that kind of money to be raised for charity, that really gets people noticed. And this will be Dick's legacy. You know, you can talk about college basketball analysts and, you know, Diaper Dandy and P.T. Peer. But when he passes and he's 82 years old, this will be his legacy, what he's done for kids with cancer. And I think it's a great legacy. And it's truly what, what's his calling now. Uh, not his basketball games, but raising money for cancer. It has also ate in, too. And you and I were here. And you've been here much longer than I have. But he started this at his house. Yes, he started this at his house. I went to the first couple. Uh, some of the early people. You know, Billy Donovan was there. Rick Pitino was there. And after a couple of years, uh, uh, it, it got so big that uh, they had to move it. 
And only in the last few years has it been at the Ritz Carlton, which is the, the swankiest hotel here in Sarasota. And even when they had the pandemic a couple of years ago, uh, it was a virtual uh, gathering. Uh, I mean, Dick Dick was there. No one was there. Uh, Kevin Nagandi, who used to work down here, emceed it from, from New York, from Bristol, the ESPN headquarters. And it was a virtual thing. All, none of the people were, were there, but they raised millions of dollars. Now this year, we're back to a full house. Close to 1,000 people will be at the uh, Rich Carlton this year. It's going to be back to normal. Uh, uh, and what, what really, in a weird way, by Dick having cancer and by Dick having all these things where people have been rooting for him, I think a lot of people came through with money that otherwise might not have. The owner of the Pistons just kicked in a, a half a million dollars. I believe his name is Dick Goss. He's the owner of the Pistons. He kicked in half a million dollars for Dick's challenge. Wow. So the fact that he battled cancer, I think, got a lot of people uh, giving. when They might not have given before, or if they had given before, they're gladly giving again face for Dick's face. Well, Doug, the big story last year was that uh, a donor that Dick really did not know, he had seen where he had donated quite a bit of money to another firm, to another charity, and he called him on the phone. And he actually started business with his father when he came out of college and was very successful. And Dick just called him on the phone. It was not somebody that he knew. Tell that story. Oh, yeah. Last year he was, uh, well, on the 2000 Michigan State title team, the one that uh, Mateen Cleaves was the point guard, this guy, and I forgot his name, he was the 11th guy, the 12th guy. And, uh, but he was such a smart guy. He, he had an offer to go into Division One assistant coaching after he graduated. He could have been 23 years old as an assistant coach, but he decided to uh, go into his father's real estate business. He basically took it over. He went from an eight-man operation to about a 250-man operation, and he gave Dick one million dollars. And uh, wow, you know, he donated he donated bunches of money more than that to the Michigan State athletic uh, complex. Uh, basically, he gave a lot of money for that. But he ran on the heels of that out of the blue. Dick just called him. You know, I remember Dick telling me, he said, I'm going to call, start calling some other people for this money. I call the same people every year, and they give, but they're like, Dick, I mean, I, I can't keep on giving to you every single year. Expanded his Rolodex and ended up calling this guy from, from Michigan State. And out of the blue, he just said, I'd give a million dollars. We had a guy a couple of years ago, a local uh, big do businessman, he started a, an Amway-type thing for, for, for nutrition products. He said, I'll give a million dollars. If you can get a, a people a million dollars to give, I'll match it. So he got mm. people to give a million dollars in a certain time frame, and this guy kicked in with another million dollars. He did that two years in a row, basically a matching wow. deal. So, uh, you know, Dick knows people. They know that Dick, this is, his, this is his calling. This is what he lives for. So they're more than gladly to put their checkbook up over and over again, which says something for Vital and the cause he represents, too. Roger? Well, he's he's a uh, special individual, and, uh, I mean, uh, Don and I uh, both lost uh, our first wives to cancer uh, within, uh, well, what was Don, five months of each other, right? And, About uh, right, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. and uh, so, I, you know, I know what it's like in the suffering uh, that uh, you go through. Uh, I lost my uh, sister last year and also uh, her oldest daughter uh, to cancer. So it, it, it's, an ugly, it's an awful 
disease and it, it really takes its toll and not only on the individual but the family too uh but uh he that's amazing that uh, he's gotten that type of uh contributions from some of these people but it just shows the respect uh that they and the love they have for Dick Vitale well, every time we, we, he has people he honors, and this year we're, we're getting Chrissy Everett, Chris Everett down here, and I guess Chris Everett has battled cancer before. But she may be battling it right now. So she'll be one of the honored guests. But, you know, he's had people like Billy, Bobby Knight here. He's had uh, a Pat, Ch- Pat Summit here. I mean, he's had some big, big names in sports. And you're right, these guys – I talked to them during the gala or before the gala, and I asked them how cancer has touched you. And invariably, they've had a wife had cancer, they've had a nephew had cancer, they've had a grandmother had cancer. In some way, shape, or form, cancer has hit their family. So, you know, Dick can get a lot of people to come here who have had that situation because it's a disease that hits everybody. And again, they are more than willing. They pay their own way here. It's not like Dick uh, fronts a ticket and fronts uh, a room at the Ritz for one or two days. They are paying their own way here, and and more often than not, uh, during the gala, which I've only been a part of, actually seen the entire gala. It's when I was suffering leukemia back in 14. I watched the whole thing. Uh, people in there pull out their checkbooks, and they will write checks for fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars right there in the room. They are so moved by the ceremony. They are so moved by the words coming out of these cancer survivors and Dick Vitale that uh, Dick just said, pull out your checkbook, and these guys just, just pull it out and write big, big-time checks. So that's how they're able to get $6, 7000000 million for a one-night event here. And I'll be, I'll be there front and center, but like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how Dick approaches this, the fact that he had cancer. I guarantee there'll be a lot of tears flowing. Uh, you know, he has tears flow every year. Or when he has his cancer survivor, they call him his all courageous team. They're all kids who survived cancer. The fact that Dick is one of those survivors, I guarantee the emotion level will be, will be quite high for, for next for next month's gala. Doug, I think uh, guys, all of even though we can't oh. talk about death. Let's talk about something else besides cancer. What else? How about my Red Sox? <laughs> how about uh, no? Uh, how about this Tom Brady thing? Isn't he the biggest beaver in history? I mean, I went to liking Tom Brady, but can't stand the guy now. I really can't stand him. Well, he's, he's certainly in a class by himself. There's no question about that. I, I've got to say, I was amazed that the, when he decided this time to come back for another year. I thought he was going to ride right off into the sunset. Uh, as he said at the end of last year, it really surprised me. I, I guess he genuinely feels that uh, – They've got a real shot to to make a run at it again, and that the he's got to get Gronk on his side, and so we'll see what happens. What do you think? Well, listen, this guy, this guy is the world's biggest diva, right? We're not talking about the greatest all-time quarterback. We're talking about a guy who uh, had his own trainer on the Patriots sideline for for many years. I mean, he had his own personal trainer there, and no one else, no no other player did. And uh, Belichick put up with it as long as he could before he asked the guy to leave. I mean, Tom Brady has marched to the beat of his own drummer. He's always gotten his own way. And I thought it was very telling that he he never used the word retirement. He never used the word retiring in his so-called retirement speech. He used every other word but that, which left open the possibility of him coming back. 
And I'm telling you the reason he's doing this is because he wanted Bruce Arians out. He went, there's no doubt in my mind, he went to the Glazers and said, either he goes or I, or I don't come back. Because uh, last year, uh, he, Brady would work over the game plan with the offensive coordinator, uh, the quarterback, uh, Brian the Jaguars. Yeah, he'd work over the, work over the game plan, and Arians out of nowhere would come in with a red pencil and say, no, this is not good, no, no, no. Basically come in and destroy all, the, all their work. And if you know Tom Brady being a perfectionist, he hated that. He did not like that at all. He didn't like the fact that Arians was a coach who called him out in the media. Bill Belichick never did that. Bruce Arians called Brady out in the media. He didn't treat him with kid gloves. So I think their relationship was bad enough where Brady said, okay, I'm going to retire here, uh, wink, wink. But uh, if, you, if you get rid of Arians and bring in the coach that I want, which is basically Todd Bowles, which is going to let him do whatever the heck he wants with the offense because he's a defensive coach, then I'll come back. And once again, the Patriots, act, uh, the Buccaneers acquiesced to them. He acquiesced to them the same way he wanted Antonio Brown there. No other team wanted him. He vouched for him. He said, no, he's a good receiver. They brought him on board. And you see how it ended with him half naked walking in the end zone during a game. So uh, what, what Brady gets, Brady wants. Uh, and this whole retirement scam was the only thing worse than this was Brett Favre, who basically said he was retiring. And then he comes back and ends up playing for the arch rival every year. Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. But I don't like the. I thought Brady was a family man. I thought Brady wanted to spend time with his kids, his wife. It ends up that that's not really the case. And uh, he, listen, guy still wants to play football, but it has to be under his conditions and under his terms. With the Bucks, that is the in the front office, really on the field on a game-to-game basis. So he's the biggest diva going well, we, forward. We, he took some of that top. He took that top money for a CB12 company. Didn't deserve it. Didn't return it. Ended up buying a yacht. Uh, listen, there's uh, there's uh, there's uh, a lot of ways to respect him as a quarterback. You know, he pushes his CB12 products. It's almost like you know he's his own Amway company that he's pushing out there, and everybody goes along with Tom. No one, even ESPN, no one raises a, a finger to what he says or does because he's Tom Brady, right? He's a goat, but. Uh, He's very much of a devious quarterback, and I think his latest move with the Bucks just is the latest example of that. That's just me talking. That's all. Well, it's got to be it's got to be very interesting to see because uh, Todd Bowles, of course, we moved for because he's a Temple product in Philadelphia, and uh, but unfortunately, when he got to the Jets, they just didn't have any personnel to work with. Uh, he's a great defensive coach, but boy, Doug, does he have a does he have the pressure on him taking over this Bucks team? and that uh, they, they hope it's going to go deep into the playoffs. Well, you know, exa- exactly, Don. You hit the nail on the head. Most head coaches, they take over a program that's lacking a, a lot of elements, right. right? Lacking people. That's why he's a new coach. But this guy is taking over a product, a car that is almost ready for the, uh, for the racetrack, right? And uh, Brady yeah. coming back. Other guys have come back. I expect Gronk to come back. Listen, Todd Bowles had a bad experience as a coach with the Jets because he had no talent. He can't say that now. And as long as he entrusts the offense to other guys who know offense and focus on the defense, I think things might work out okay. But this is the last chance he's going to get, right? How many chances does a head coach get? Especially an African-American one, right? You don't cut it the second yeah. time. Then you're labeled a career defensive coordinator or a career, career assistant. And I know he doesn't want to be labeled as that. So this is his really big shot. 
with talent already around him. So we'll see how it goes. Doug, I got a question for you about uh, Brian Leftwich. Do you personally feel he is a really good offensive coordinator, or was it more uh, Bruce Arians getting involved and doing what he did, and also with Tom Brady, uh, also with a lot of input? Do you, do you think well, that that is going to work? Well, if you if you remember when Brady first came down here, if you remember the kind of offense he operated in New England, it was basically a short to intermediate passing game. I mean, yes. there's a lot of running yes. back screens, a lot of running back passes, a lot of Edelman across the middle. Arians' offense is what? You go for the biscuit, right? Which means you throw the right. ball down the field 40, 50, 60. Yes. That's never been Tom Brady. That's never been Brady's game. And it took half the year last year before they realized what the heck they had here. I mean, if you're going to bring in Tom Brady to be your quarterback, you damn well better devise an offense that he feels comfortable with. And I think it was that game last year against the Chiefs when they got humbled here in Tampa, and they had a bye week the next week. Okay. People were wondering, where the heck the team is going? They came back after that break, and they won the rest of their games en route to the Super Bowl, and they had an offense that Brady was comfortable with. And I think as long as they continue with doing that, I think they'll be fine. So, in other words, I think maybe Arians' offense didn't fit what Brady did. They rejiggered it. And now that they do what he, did, what he, what he does well, uh, Arians' personality sort of got to Brady. I think he's a little bit too much too open, uh, too much of a loose cannon to be the head coach of a guy like Tom Brady. I think he wants a head coach that basically doesn't say much about him and just lets him do his thing. And I think that's Todd Bowles. But, uh, yeah, there was no intention. Brady, Tom, uh, Arians showed no no intention of retiring a few months ago, right? Until all this stuff went no. down, and suddenly he backs away. He wanted to coach. He's not ready to go upstairs. He did it with no. Brady and the, and the team that employs him. Well, the interesting part, and I'll, we'll leave you with this, Doug, is that uh, with all the controversy around the National Football League with the Miami coach being uh, not rehired and then it being uh, interviewed but not hired as a head coach anywhere else, uh, really, the Bucks are ahead of everybody because you know they took Todd Bowles and stepped him right in. Uh, he had been interviewed at other places for head coaching jobs after the Jets did not get any of them, and, and I think it's a great move for the organization to uh, sort of step forward and be one of the teams that really uh, took advantage of having a black coach available. Well, listen, they want continuity. Everybody loves Todd Bowles on that team, apparently, so it'll be a seamless transition. Now, listen, they've they've had other defensive coaches, right? They brought in Tony Dungy, who's a defensive assistant, and he turned that program around. Well, there's, there's no turning on a program that he has to do. The program is already going in the right direction. He just has to basically take the keys to the car and maybe not run it in the ditch. And I think Todd Bowles will learn a lot from that initial experience with the Jets. I don't know. Maybe he was too hands-on. Maybe he, he put his nose into too many things, and maybe now – Second time around, he'll let his assistants and his coaches do the coaching, and he'll oversee it, which is what every great head coach does. So I, I think he learned from his Jets experience. But once again, it goes back to uh, they won a Super Bowl and made it into the playoffs with a guy like Arian. Anything less than that on the Bulls, people will be calling for his head very soon. Oh, absolutely. Doug, thank you so very, very much for jumping in. And uh, I really look forward to having you join us again in a short period of time as the football season after the draft gets culminated and uh, we get into more baseball. Uh, but thank you so much and have a great time at the Vital uh, 
and don't give them more than a hundred thousand. I don't want you to extend yourself. <laughs> I, I know that you, you know, look. just reach under the rug, reach <laughs> under the rug, and just take one, just take one quarter of the rug and just put pass it down. Hey, Doug, no, you take I'm one to no one. Listen, I'm bringing my checkbook. The decimal point will be over two spots. So we're looking at 10 bucks. Okay? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Doug, we'll talk, Doug, I'll, talk to you. I'll talk to you in the next couple of days. On, Take yeah. care. Thanks, Doug. Take care. Doug, Doug Fernandez, columnist for the Sarasota Herald, terrific sportsman from the New England area, and uh, has covered baseball, football, everything for so many years, now a columnist. And uh, it's just great to have him join us. Mike Zimzak is ready right now. We chatted about a couple of things in the uh, Washington, D.C. area uh, at the top of the show. Uh, one, the uh, disorganization of the Washington Football Club. Uh, Mike, maybe you could add a little something to it. Uh, everybody has a different idea of how the National Football League is going to attack this problem. I'm pretty sure, gentlemen, and it's good to talk to you after two weeks. I hope uh, each and every one of you all had a, a happy Easter uh, with friends, family, and fellowship. Um, I'm sure that there are tons of things that we could say about the running of the Washington Commanders and the NFL football franchise here in Washington, D.C., and none of us would have a leg on what they're actually going to do. Nobody can. Nobody knows, right, Mike? Um, yeah, I mean, at this point in time, when you look in the – so the big news that has – that we hinted at it last time we talked, and it's really become public since then, was the uh, revelation that they – the team has been withholding money from, or, or possibly withholding money uh, from the NFL uh, and potential uh, fans in form of rebates that were supposed to go back on season ticket security deposits, um, the conversion of away revenue into revenue from other games that they've been withholding. Uh, you know, at this point in time, if this is found to be true, and the fact that Congress referred it to the Federal Trade Commission seems to indicate to me that they have something more than just hearsay. Uh, the federal government tend to go after people when they know they can't win. And so if they're saying we're going to take a look at this, there's probably a little bit more than just um, he said, she said. And so there, there's something there. If Roger Goodell and the NFL choose to continue to defend uh, Dan Snyder, then we have to seriously start to think about what's really going on there. Roger? Yeah, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly, uh, Mike. I was just checking the uh, Atlanta United's up over Chattanooga 3 nothing uh, in their game. Uh, so uh, that, that's, a, that's a good uh, score for the United. 
Um, and uh, what do you, what's it look like? Uh, the uh, union's still doing pretty well. And um, how, how does the MLS look to you at this point early in the season? So MLS can be so hard to handicap because, you know, if you get the right group of guys and the right manager in there, um, there's no telling. Because a lot of times we look at the teams, and unless it's a team that's been together for a while and we know a lot of who's on it, it's hard to understand. Uh, chemistry and management go so it means so much because the margins can be so fine in between putting together the right team and the wrong team. Uh, the union are off to one of the better starts in the league. Down here in D.C., uh, they just let their coach, Fernando um, Lozado, go after six games. On top of a win last night in the uh, – U.S. Open Cup, which is what uh, Atlanta United is playing in tonight against Chattanooga. Right, right. And so Union get off to a very, very fast start. D.C. United rock bottom of the Eastern Conference. When I look at the teams, do I see a massive talent differential? No. What I do see is a coach – in Jim Curtin, who's able to get these guys to work together, and a coach in Erno Lozado for, for D.C. United, who wasn't. And that's the difference in between 16 points for uh, the Philadelphia Union and six for D.C. United. Don? Oh, I'm with you. I didn't think he was finished. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the National Hockey League for a couple of minutes. And, uh, uh, we look forward now. We're so close to the playoffs. How do you feel Washington stands right now with the great goal, the great goal scorer they have, second all time, uh, a lot of offense on the club. Are they going to be able to contend or are they going to be like the second round out? It's so hard, Don, because they are on an absolute tear. Uh, seven wins in their last ten. They have closed the gap that I think they did, were going to against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're now a game back the Penguins, uh, 96 to 97 points. With right. the Penguins, uh, they can overtake them, get out of that transfer spot, which would see them play the Florida Panthers in the first round. Now, will they still have Carolina Hurricanes, who have been a really good team, uh, but they get out of that bottom uh, Eastern Conference uh, wild card spot, and they get right. into that, 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 that um, number three spot in the Metropolitan, I believe it is. They're hot. They're playing well. Um, things that weren't working, the power play, the goaltending, those are all working right now. The problem is that they're playing in the regular season and they're about to go into the playoffs where you're going to play a team 
over the course of multiple nights. And be it the Carolina Hurricanes or the Florida Panthers, they're going to they, the Capitals are going to have to deal with what their kryptonite all year has been, and that's team speed. So, do I think that they can get into the playoffs and make some games out of it? Yes. Do I see this as a potential uh, Stanley Cup winning team or Stanley Cup, Cup competing team? No. So I think their ceiling is the second round. Conference finals, I think that would be beautiful. I just don't see them, uh, the Caps being a Stanley Cup uh, finals caliber team right now. I think they're, they're, there's too many holes on defense dealing with speed, the power play, consistent goalkeeping to keep them from winning the Stanley Cup like they did, what, five years ago. Mike, a lot of folks think that the Florida Panthers are by far uh, the best team during the regular season, but the consensus of opinion is that when it comes to the playoffs, they think they can be beaten in that area. They've, they've done a great job during the regular season, like the Lightning did two or three years ago before they got knocked, knocked out in four straight. But they don't necessarily think they're going to go deep into the playoffs. What do you think? It's a different game when you get into the playoffs because you're playing the same team night after night, and these coaches get paid too. They make adjustments. They're going to change their lines. They're going to change their defensive strategies. Um, The Florida Panthers are a team that kind of caught a lot of people by surprise this year. They got hot. They carried it through the entire regular season. It's It'll be interesting to see whether they can carry the momentum that they've had throughout the regular season, whether they can be as effective on special teams, on the offense, on the defense, in all the facets of the game that they need to be effective on, night after night, playing the same team. I think that's the big key. You're going to be playing these same teams night after night. And they're going to make the adjustments. Can you respond? And that's a position that we haven't really seen the Florida Panthers be in all season. Roger? Yeah, I I agree with that assessment, but uh, you never know. We know, Mike, from history, uh, if you get the hot goalie, you can go far in the NHL and the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. And uh, I think it'll be interesting. I don't know whether the Lightning uh, will have the hot uh, goalie, and I don't know who will. What, do you have any idea what your opinion? What's your opinion have, of who may have I the have, hot goalie? I have no idea. Um, yeah. You've got a team like the Florida. Uh, you've got a team like Tampa Bay, um, two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. They literally have the T-shirt. Y'all may be wearing the T-shirt at this this moment in time. They know how to play in the playoffs. Um, A lot of these teams in both the East and the West haven't been there before. You know, Florida is not tested. The Lightning are. They're not tested like the Penguins are, like the Caps are. Um, 
playoff hockey is completely different bird. We've seen a hot goalkeeper. We've seen a hot tandem of goalkeepers. We've seen a team that came out of left field in the St. Louis Blues get there and win it. Um, anything can happen when we get to the Stanley Cup. I agree with that 100%. I, well, let's go back to football for a second. We uh, we talked about the stadium in Washington and the problems uh, trying to move to another area and build a new stadium from a financial standpoint. New York, the governor has just thrown in a tremendous amount of money, over $900 million, uh, to the uh, owners of, of uh, the Buffalo football team to get a new stadium built there. And I just see where, the, where uh, Carolina has withdrawn over $900 million that they had set aside to build a new stadium down there. Uh, I just saw that, what, two days ago. What do you think, Mike? It's tough right now to justify public funding for a stadium. Um, you know, you've really got to be – it's hard. You know, we know that these NFL stadiums don't bring in – the revenue that we think they would because it's unless you do certain things like for example up in Buffalo unless you put a retractable roof on that and some other things you're going to be stuck with you know what 10 dates a year at most right what are you going to do with it Uh, I mean so Public funding statistically has been shown for NFL stadiums isn't necessarily the boom that you would get from a basketball stadium or even a baseball stadium where you can use it multiple – you can use it – you know, what, a baseball stadium is going to be used 82 nights – or 81 nights minimum each season. Um, basketball arenas uh, – 40, uh, 41 nights minimum, plus concerts, plus other gatherings. You know, you don't have that with a football stadium. And in Buffalo, what 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 what, what are you going to get? Um, I can see where Carolina Charlotte would say, you know, we're going to build – a new stadium. They've already said because of uh, the the soccer team, they're going to build a new soccer-specific stadium. So then what are they looking to get out of building this NFL stadium? How are you going to build it? Are you going to build a retractable roof so that you can maybe have a Super Bowl down there? Um, if you do that, can you get a ACC tournament? Can you get a NCAA final, can you potentially get a Super Bowl? Well, this question with the Super Bowl in Charlotte is, do you even have the hotel rooms to accommodate that? So these are real issues. And, you know, when I'm a governor or somebody like that, and I'm looking at what is my my, uh, public dollar going to do the most good on, I just can't see honestly saying, like, a football stadium that I know potentially only be 10 games a year might be my best long-term investment. 
Well, you know, I remember when they were talking a few years ago uh, at Carolina about uh, having a uh, stadium at Carowinds, you know, almost mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> on the border of South Carolina. And and that's an easy uh, hike. Columbia is a growing community, too. And that's an easy uh, hike for people to come up uh, uh, 77, right right to the uh, stadium. And it's they got a beltway around Charlotte now. I mean, Don, if you know that because of your family in the Charlotte area. Well, and, I, I think uh, Charlotte's going to be one of the uh, – if there's a baseball expansion, I think Charlotte's going to be one I of the cities too. that's really – going to be designated as one of the spots to stop. Uh, I think Charlotte's growing and growing and growing. And uh, so I, I sort of agree with you, Roger. I think if they're going to build the new stadium, they're going to build it somewhere in that Charlotte area. But if they build a new stadium for baseball, um, then the need for a football stadium becomes even less. You know, right now, Don, I'm going to agree with you. I, I've heard Charlotte for a potential expansion team. The other one that I've heard is Nashville. And yeah. that's, bo- that's booming. As much as we're talking Boy, about the, uh, the Charlotte, um, the, the Panthers need a new stadium down in Charlotte. Um, the Titans need renovations to <clears throat> Nissan, whatever it's called now, down in Tennessee as well. And both of them hey. can't have baseball teams. Right. No. Mike, you know, talking about stadiums, it just got me. The uh, New Jersey Football Club or uh, New York Football Club, I, the uh, they they play in Harrison, right, outside of Newark. Yes, they do. Uh, uh, so there are two teams up there. There are um, NYCFC, which plays at Yankee Stadium. And right. they right. have long needed – a new stadium. They desperately need to get out of Yankee Stadium because it just, just, just barely, if it does, falls within FIFA regulations for the width of a stadium. Uh, sure. The Red Bulls have the stadium in Harrison, New Jersey. Is it like the Union Stadium? Where it's um, smaller? No, the Red Bull Stadium in Harrison is actually bigger than the Union Stadium. Uh, okay, Union but what, 50,000 or 40,000? Okay, so the Union Stadium in Chester seats about 18. Uh, the Red Bull Stadium in Harrison seats about 21. Oh, okay, so they're pretty close. Because, you know, where I think uh, – I, I haven't been a number of years – but, uh, you know, Don and I know, uh, uh, Pat, uh, that uh, when you go at that Harrison station, I, I can pretty much send, figure exactly where that stadium is, you know, by the path station. But I, I couldn't see where it could be like a 40,000-seat stadium. So you answered my question. It's 20, about 21,000. That I can Mike, is the stability of the stadiums uh, with MLS there – do most of the uh, the franchises have what you would consider to be really first-class uh, stadium situations? Um, the majority of the ones that play in soccer-specific stadiums, and to, to go back to something Roger was just saying, most of the soccer-specific stadiums that we have in this country are around 20,000. They're in between mm. Philadelphia Union, which is on the small end, at 
about 18 and um, Red Bull Stadium and Harrison, which is about 21. So they all kind of fit in that 18 to 21, 22,000 seat range. Okay. And that's a good number for soccer-specific stadiums in the U.S. right now. That's what you can fill on a regular basis. You get a big game like a USA qualifier. You can, you can sell the tickets out at a premium. I don't think uh, that we need to go to, you know, you know, we're getting to the point where we can expand up to 25 to 30, but, you know, the, the, that, that might be a couple of years off. Um, the, the teams that play in soccer-specific stadiums, I think, have a very good experience because they're designed for the sport that they're going to be played, that, that's being watched. Um, I'm going to bring up a point. We have talked uh, Roger about Atlanta United at length. We've had a number mm-hmm. of people on the show who've talked to us about Atlanta United and the fact that when Arthur Blank and this is why I asked that question when we had Mike and, and Chris Winkler and some of those guys on. When Arthur Blank designed the Mercedes-Benz Dome down in Atlanta, what he did was to take into account the fact that they were going to have a soccer team there. So he created a stadium that had good sight lines for both soccer and uh, NFL football because those are not right. always the same thing. So you have a stadium in Atlanta that can put, you know, forty thousand people in with good sight lines for soccer and be a soccer stadium when Atlanta's United are playing, but can also be a football stadium when the Falcons are playing. I think the biggest thing that keeps it from being a first class soccer stadium is the fact that, you know, it's a dome, it's, it's on artificial turf. If it was natural right. grass, it would probably be one of the premier soccer venues in the United States of America. And we're going to see how that works because Atlanta and Mercedes-Benz are clearly on the bid for the World Cup of one of the stadiums that they're looking at having World Cup games here in 2022. But when the World Cup comes here, they're going to have to put down a grass field because you can't play World Cup games on a full artificial turf field. I was going to say that's a rule, isn't it? Yes, it is. So well, you know, when it was here, that can be in... done. Huh? Go ahead, Mike. Yes, it can. No, I said and I know that, that can has. be done. Yep. It can be. We, we saw it. You, you, you man. When, they, when we were here in 94, they, they laid down a um, full grass field in the Pontiac Superdome so they could have games up in Detroit. It's easier to do that in Atlanta right now because it's a retractable roof. It can open up and it can actually get some sun, and it may actually hold up throughout the course of the tournament. Well, the reason I say it can be done is we all remember – when they used to have the little Army-Navy game after the big Army-Navy game down in Atlantic City Convention Hall, and they would bring in natural turf, play right on a uh, quote-unquote dome facility, if you will, 
uh, and and it worked out. I mean, it, they played it there uh, many years. So uh, I think I think Mike and Roger. I think they also did that in New York a couple of times. Didn't they put put real grass down because of the uh, the rules that uh, they had to have real grass? I don't remember which stadiums it were, but I, I think they did it in New York a couple of times. They definitely did it in '94 in Giant Stadium because they wanted to have. That's right. what I thought. That's, that's what it was. That's, You're right. That's what I thought. Yeah. They put natural grass down in '94. They put it down in the Pontiac. Um, they put it down in Pontiac and Silverdome. Um, they put it in uh, Giant Stadium, and they put it down in the Georgia Dome. Now the Georgia Dome and the Pontiac Silverdome didn't hold up. They tore it up immediately after World Cup. But the Giants and the Jets played the following season on a true grass field in Giant Stadium before they pulled that up again. Well, they pulled it up because they just couldn't take uh, the the, uh, the 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 two teams playing back to back every week. Yeah. that turf was taking a beating, and that's why. Well, I'll tell you where else they changed it from an I believe from a natural turf was up at uh, uh, at uh, uh, up at, for the the uh, pa- uh, Patriots in Foxborough. Yeah. I think that originally when it was built was natural turf, and they also uh, changed it to artificial turf. But the other thing that we haven't talked about, if we're going to talk about grass, let's talk about grass. Um, Lincoln Financial Field has a 50-50 down. They went natural mm-hmm. grass for a long time. They've now gone to a partially synthetic turf up there. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, um, at least in the last two years, um, they've gone to a partially synthetic. So it's, it's uh, synthetic turf woven in with the Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, as far as I know, that's allowable by FIFA rules. So, hypothetically, if you had a stadium, uh, Houston's on the list, that would be one where you would do it. Uh, Glendale at the University of Phoenix Stadium, that's a place where you could do something like that. And Mercedes-Benz, where you have a retractable roof, where you you may not feel comfortable growing grass for a long time. You could do something like that, um, you know, 40-60-70-30 blend that uh, the the Lincoln Financial does. Well, Mike, is it on the drawing board to uh, to, to pick a stadium and and get it ready for the for, you know for the world stuff? Oh yeah, they've had they've listed um, uh, Orlando's on it. One of the things that me and a couple of my buddies were talking about was the fact that uh, Orlando was chosen over Tampa Bay. You know why not? Oh, okay. Orlando? Why not have it in Raymond James where they posted a Super Bowl, but Orlando was deemed to be the better uh, Central Florida market, um, more hotel rooms. So I guess right. Camp World over in um, the old Citrus Bowl, it used to be the Citrus Bowl, Camp World um, was, was chosen. That was in there. Uh, the stadium in South Hard Rock in South Florida, uh, Phillies on. But there. they haven't actually designated any any particular place as yet. 
Well, they haven't designated what the final ones are, but they've definitely limited it to – we have a list of stadiums where it could be for 2026, and we're going to narrow it down to what the finals are and start naming the venues. But we can start picking where they're going to be. For instance, I know that there are going to be games in Atlanta. If Atlanta can get um, the turf situation together – there will be games in Atlanta. Um, I would find it very interesting if there were games in Central Florida. If not Central Florida, we know Hard Rock's going to be on there. Um, most likely there will be games in Philly because there likely won't be games in D.C. because they don't have a stadium. Uh, New York, we know there will be games at, uh, at Giant Stadium. We know there will be games at either SoFi or the Rose Bowl out in L.A., Levi's in San Francisco, uh, Soldier Field in Chicago, uh, Arrowhead in Kansas City. Um, so there, How about there, there Seattle? are a number of places. Um, they can play in Vegas, too. Got, um, Vegas and Seattle are going to be interesting. Seattle, I think, more likely because, again, can you put a turf field down at Quest Field, in Seattle, probably. Um, Vegas is going to be interesting because uh, the Death Stars are a complete dome. Can you put a turf field down there? I think they would like to, but if you're going to it's put a they, game that's in what they No, that's what they've got, Mike. Vegas oh, has like the rack? identical deal to Glendale. Yeah, they wheel it in and out. All right, then there'll be games in Vegas. Um, Houston's another one where I'm pretty sure there'll be games in, and Dallas as well. Um, yeah. So we can, Let me tell you something. You can't to... tell me where major games aren't going to be played in Las Vegas. Las Vegas has taken over the sports world. Holy smokes, you can't have a game without going to Las Vegas. No. Dan, I have to tell you that uh, Doug's on the uh, uh, line. Frank said. Been, Go ahead, Mike. Well, the big issue with Las Vegas is has been you can't bet on a game that's actually in Las Vegas. So uh, if they can sort that out, then, yeah, why not? Like, Las Vegas would be a perfect venue. I think Las Vegas would be a better venue than, um, let's say, Phoenix. If you're going to do one in the Southwest, I would choose Vegas. Um Again, remember, the, the World Cup's an international tournament. Where do you think you're going to get more international people to go? Glendale, Arizona, or Las Vegas? To me, every, everything's in Las Vegas. Yeah. I start with Las Vegas and go from there. Yeah. 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 Mike, we, we all want to go to Las Vegas. Have a great week. We've got Doug uh, hanging uh, uh, on the uh, wire. So, <laughs> listen, take care. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you all next week. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Peace. Take Peace care, too. partner. Doug Hamilton, welcome once again on our PGA professional yeah. and uh, also a uh, sports expert as we talk <laughs> football, baseball. He has to have a happy weekend because the Orioles took two out of three for the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Something that hasn't been done for a long, long time. Doug, did you follow those two, three games? You know, I've started the season here watching the Orioles when I can 
when I can see it. Um, you know, depending on like uh, last night, I stayed up for a while. They were you're out west in Oakland, so um, they moved the game to six, and I watched just a smidge of it. But I find myself, you know, throughout the day or, or whenever they play, I have uh, the ML- MLB app on my phone, and I, I kind of check the scores. And so this is the first time in about five years that I've kind of started caring about uh, the Orioles in, in a sense of not so much win or lose, but I think they're as long as they're competitive um, and the games are worth watching. And, and I think there's a, a buzz and a level of excitement, um, you know, in the, the Baltimore and surrounding area that about a month from now, they're, they're probably going to start bringing up some of their prospects and, and uh, letting these guys play. And I, I for one, think that um, although it's bad news that John Means has um, in some fashion injured himself and may or may not pitch this year, uh, I think that's going to open the door for, for some of their younger guys to uh, get a chance. I think that their lineup is uh, starting to take a little bit of shape with, with uh, Mullins, Mountcastle, and, and uh, Urias, and you know some of these guys I think that are going to get a chance to, to really play. And, um, you know, I think that at some point um, they'll likely make some moves to – free up some more spots for some. I mean, they have, you know, listening to some of the things I've been listening to, they have an, an awful lot of guys, I think, that are knocking on the doorstep uh, that are about ready to get to, you know, the major leagues. And I think that that's headlined by Adley Rutschman, which by all accounts is, you know, you know, obviously in the top five in terms of best prospects. Um, you know, I think that uh, Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish and, and, um, uh, D.L. Hall and some of these guys, I think, are going to get a chance to pitch. I think that um, they have some guys, uh, UCNL Diaz, uh, Kyle Stowers, some of these guys at the, at the minor league level that are uh, probably going to step in and, and play at the major league level. So I'm I'm excited to um, pay attention to the Orioles this year. Well, I think it's great that they're you know making a, a little bit of a move. It's been for the four people down in Baltimore, and you're right outside of Baltimore, and you know, it had to be a, just an awful last three or four years. Or a team not winning, uh, you know, losing a hundred games, well, and uh, you know, it, it's nice to see that they're becoming more competitive. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is and it isn't for me. I mean, I think that you know, Baltimore has experienced a number of a number of years in their heyday that they were, you know, really really good in the in the you know what late sixties and, and early seventies and all the way through and. Uh, all the way through the 70s and then into the early 80s. Um, you know, I think that uh, their their farm system is absolutely loaded uh, with talent um, pretty much everywhere. And let's not forget also they have the first overall pick in this year's draft. So, um, you know, they just traded two of their bullpen arms for basically the 67th overall pick, which, you know, I believe that to be addition by subtraction. I think they're right now their bullpen is um, – through the early stages of this season, probably the best in baseball or, or top five, we'll call it, um, in terms of what they've done. So um, there's certainly help on the way. I think that it's um, been t- – I mean, what I hate is, you know, when you when the last couple of years they were just looking – like they were going through the motions and they had all these, you know, just innings eaters and people that, you know, that were placeholders in different positions and um, – Right. You know, to me, that was that was hard to watch that, you know, and I think you see 
this guy Odor that's been kicking around. He played for the Yankees. He played for Texas. Um, you know, I think he's he's one of those placeholders. I think that you know some of these pitchers the Orioles have right now. Um, Spencer, Watson, you got a big hit for the Orioles the other night. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's I guess it's nice to have a little bit of veteran presence on your team, but at the same time, I mean, I think that win, lose, or draw, and I, and, and I, I would rather see the, the Orioles lose 90 games with, with all of their, their prospects and, and farm talent than I would with placeholders, that's for sure. Um, at least you get a chance to, you know, get a little taste of what's hopefully to come. So, I mean, I, I think they've done it the right way through uh, some better analytics and, and drafts. And, and um, I mean, you never know. I mean, baseball's a crap a crapshoot when you draft these guys. You don't know what they're going to turn out to be. I mean, you know, it's absolutely, you know, I mean, it takes years for these guys. I mean, you, you pick a kid like they, I think they're going to take possibly Andrew Jones' son, number one overall. And, I mean, what, how old is this kid? You know, I mean, how do you know what he's going to be like in three, five, ten years, you know? So, um, we'll see. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, for the first time, I'm excited. Roger, are you, getting, are you going to plan on going to any games, Doug? You know, I think that the that, uh, tickets are still a pretty easy get at this point. I know that, that um, the likelihood of, of many of the members at the club having them or uh, being able to consistently use them is, is you know, certainly not the case. Um, you know, I think, to be honest with you, I, you know, this is something that's been discussed and I know that they're talking about um, how these stadiums are trying to compete from a fan experience versus, you know, the people watching it at home. And I hate to say it, um, you know, mom and dad are going to laugh, but I, I, uh, I don't like cities. I don't like being in cities. I don't like traveling to cities. Um, mm-hmm. you You're know, not I, alone. I, you know, I just, I mean, you look at a lot of these places cause we went to, um, the opening night of the Nats and that, that whole area in and around that <laughs> park is just, a it's, a, it's dismal. I mean, it's, and to get there and, and through the one way streets and the traffic and, and the, it's just a pain in the neck and, you know, I hate to tell you, I'm not a big fan of Nationals Ballpark anyway. I think it ha- it holds no candle to Camden Yards. I think that um, mm. there's a certain feel. Maybe I'm just skewed because I'm from the Baltimore area, as so I relate. Um, but there's a certain feel when you go to Oriole Park. Um, you know, How about a, the wall? What about the wall? Well, it's. Um, I mean, you talk about the cathedrals of baseball, and you, you have to mention Fenway. You have to mention Wrigley, and you know, there's a couple other ones probably that fall into that category. But I think that Baltimore's uh, Camden Yards is, is just a small notch down from that. And, um, I mean, I've had some fond memories going to some of those games with, um, you know, high school buddies and, you know, parents and, and, you know, family and just different stuff. And, and, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I enjoy watching. I mean, it's the same thing in M and T. I mean, I enjoy, unless you, unless you go, I mean, the parking pass is a must if you're going to go or if you go with a couple other people and somebody drives, cause I really don't want to deal with that. But I mean, you know, in the in the the day and age of of having sixty five seventy inch TVs, I mean, you can certainly get up and go to the bathroom whenever you want to. The the refrigerator has you know your favorite drink in it. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's it's good stuff. I mean, you know, you don't have to deal with the the BS of going to a you know a baseball game. And you know, I think if if I had my druthers, I mean, if somebody said you can go to a live sporting event. You know, I, I think I'd go watch the Caps. I really would. I mean, I, I think that watching watching a hockey game in person is is really really fun. Um, you know, I mean, I'd, I've always constant action. I'll tell you that. 
you know, I'd, I'd love to watch the Kentucky Derby, I think, um, live. I think that would be really cool. Um, I've seen the Preakness, but, um, you know, I don't know. People say NASCAR is probably really cool. Um, it's certainly loud. I mean, I've been to the Masters. I've done some pretty cool stuff, but um, I've lost the allure of going to sporting events for some reason. You know, I just doesn't it doesn't do anything for me um, like it used to. So, well, Roger? NASCAR is great to see. I, I've been there in Dover. But I will also mm-hmm. say, don't go on a real hot day. <laughs> those, those metal bands will absolutely kill you. You know, right. I, I had to get up and, and walk over to the uh, casino. Uh, mm-hmm. And not to gamble, just to get into air conditioning. Mm-hmm. You know, if right Dover. Right. Doug, let's get back to your sport for a second. Uh, sure. My boy Spieth finally came back and won a tournament. Yeah. I, I, yep. One of the most unusual. I don't know whether you had a chance to see it, <clears throat> see it because you work, but uh, mm-hmm. running your club. But uh, one of the most unusual finishes that uh, you know that I've I've seen on the golf tour. I I can't mm-hmm. remember being in that early leading and having that many people that are within a stone's throw, one stroke. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. having to get into a playoff, and he sitting on the sideline all that time. I, I can't remember yeah. an event like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's always hard when you uh, you know get yourself to a good number, and then you have to watch the leaderboard. And and uh, you know he's certainly young enough that he can crank it back up again. I think it gets you know increasingly more difficult when you know when a few more years creep up on you. But um, you know how about Scotty Scheffler? Um, you know. Yeah, winning for the first we didn't six get to tournaments, talk and, about him yet. you know, winning the Masters and and claiming, yeah, you know, the number one overall. I mean, that's, I mean, that's good stuff. I mean, how, you know, he uh, he played some really, fan, he has played some really fantastic golf in the first six tournaments. It was cool because you know he's won four of them, and Cam Smith had won the other two, and they were playing together. So, um, you know, that's who's who in golf. It's unbelievable. Right now, yeah. And did you ever did you ever see anybody as calm as he is? Not only at the Masters, but the tournament he won prior to that two weeks. I mean, yeah. he, I mean, he laughs. He, he talks to the fans. He talks to the caddy. He, I mean, uh, I never saw a guy as relaxed as that. You know, that's that's when I think you really know that you're somebody pretty special when you can thrive in in a lot of the the, the pressured situations and. Um, you know, and kind of just not be unnerved by uh, the outside world and things that could go wrong. And, and he was just in total control of, you know, his destiny. And that's that's the really cool part about golf is that, you know, you you, you hold the key. You play the cards, and it, you know, and that's – if you hit the shots, um, nobody else does it for you. So um, fun to watch the Masters. It's always a great event. Um, you know, looking forward to um, – you know, what happens next with all the other majors and, and hopefully, you know, Tiger can, can play in a few more of these. And I was delighted to see him, you know, make the cut and and, um, and finish all four rounds and, and play, you know, respectable. Um, you know, it was painful for for me to watch uh, some of the announcers, particularly uh, not Brandel Chambly, but the other guy, the, the uh, European guy, I forget what the heck his name is. Was it Sam something or Paul after whatever, whatever his name is? Anyway, he was. He, he didn't seem to think that it was as big of a deal that Tiger made the cut than than I think he probably should have. Um, 
you know, leading up to that tournament, we had that discussion on the show, and, and Don, you had asked that question about whether he's going to play or not. And I honestly, I thought he was there just to, you know, kind of screw off and, and play the par three with his son and, and just be around the clubhouse and the champions dinner and, and uh, be a part of kind of what's going on there. Um, but lo and behold, he decided to play. And, and not only that, but I mean, you know, he, he was pretty mangled some 14 months ago and he made the cut. So, I mean, I think that's a fabulous story that, you know, I certainly didn't want that to overshadow the fact that Scotty Shepard is the champion and he's won four of the last six, but at the same time, I mean, it's a close second, um, you know, to what they should have been talking about. Right. No question. Roger. Yeah, I just thought the uh, the Masters, and uh, I was really concerned on that last hole, uh, but, uh, you know, yeah. he went a couple well, of shots more than he wanted to. But uh, it was – I just thought it was absolutely a tremendous tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always people that are looking for, uh, for the lead, and, yeah. and um, there's always some good stories that, that come out of it. Um you know, with past champions, and maybe there's, you know, um, I want to say uh, uh, Bernard Langer, you know, uh, he hung in there the first first round or, or so, and, um, you know, um, it's just a, it's a beautiful piece of, of property that, um, you know, gets an awful lot of attention, you know, every April, and, you know, certainly the Augusta National has the opportunity to uh, be a leader in the in the, the field of golf with uh, with what they do and the messages they convey and decisions they make and, and no uh, questions no questions you know what we you know we talked about you know the drive chip and putt um, you know the the junior amateur uh, ladies tournament um, you know the the par three and you know you have uh, the icons of the game that are still hanging around there with Gary Player and, and Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson and all those guys that are a part of it and the the Rich and Steve tradition that they have of um, being in that forefront and, and being philanthropic at the same time with the game and, and what they do for for other people. So um, all in all, a really good week. Well, Doug, you probably didn't have a chance to see it, uh, but last night thirty thirty did uh, a replay of Greg Norman's mm-hmm. from the colossal. Dump right at the Masters, right. and and uh, he yeah. he was on with them. They talked. They went hole from hole, and they said to him, "Do you realize that when he was doing the show thirty thirty, he had never seen uh, the tournament, he'd never seen that final round uh, on television from the day that he played and lost uh, until the thirty thirty, and uh, right. it was. Uh, I mean, you watch him, and and uh, he talked about it. And they said the biggest thing was the way he conducted himself." following the loss and mm-hmm. but nobody could ever believe that uh, a player of his skills and uh, mm-hmm. would would completely fall apart like that on the final day i tell you it was a great you 30, know, 30 show you know I, did, I didn't see it but i but i'm wondering if you know espn um sheepishly made that 30 for 30 i don't know how long it takes them to make you know an episode or segment of that but it seemingly is ironic that it coincides with you know Greg Norman and, and his uh, disdain, if you will, for the PGA Tour. And, and he's always had that. But, um, you know, to try to create this uh, other tour, so to speak. And um, I don't know if those two in some fashion overlap. But I, I don't know that that uh, Greg Norman was ever – I mean, obviously in his own country. But but he's always been somewhat of a villain, I think, um, in my opinion. And I, I can't say that I ever root for the guy until – 
um, I don't know, maybe. Well, at the end of it, at the end of it last night, he said that he had received, and I, I wish I had written it down, but I'm, I'm just using a number at the top of my something like ten thousand letters, notes uh, from mm-hmm. people after he lost that tournament, and he said read every single one of them and responded, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. said that never was he more popular uh, in mm-hmm. the United States on the tour than he was after he lost the Masters. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, you never want to see somebody of his talent level, you know, experience the lowest of lows. Um, you know, it, it certainly happens. We've, you know, we've witnessed uh, different sports um, where these things have taken place. I mean, how bad would you feel for a guy like Steve Sachs who couldn't throw it to first base, you know, when he went through that or, right. um, you know, just whatever it may be, uh, you know, the, the drugs being rampant, you know, how, how awesome was it to see Dwight Gooden? Well, I think more people are, more people are rooting for Tiger now than ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he had gone through three different stages. One, they rooted yeah. for him coming up. One, they rooted for him when he was winning. One, they rooted against him when he was winning. Then they rooted mm-hmm. against him when he got hurt and all the other problems. And now they came back and had that miraculous recovery and walked right. all that way on those hilly courses, on those hilly yeah. fairways. And finish, uh, you know, 13 over. I mean, mm-hmm. he had more people rooting for him Sunday than he ever had in his life. I mean, it's it's impressive the stages that uh, these athletes go through. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, when Tiger endured all of his personal setbacks, I mean, you know, I mean, I think that people originally rooted for him because he was a game changer. Um, you know, I, it's unfortunate that, athletes have to have their personal lives drug through the mud in the fashion they do. But we live in a world where social media and, and people are always going to be, you know, knocking at your, you know, knocking at your front door to get the next story. Um, you know, so sometimes they coincide and that's unfortunate, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I've always been a fan of tigers. Like I said, I've never really been a fan of, of, uh, Greg Norman. Um, you know, Phil Mickelson's gone through the same thing with his trials and tribulations. Um, you know, it was, oftentimes been labeled a villain. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, he's pretty popular, you know, now. And uh, <laughs> I, I think he's a, a great ambassador of the game, and I'd like to hear what he has to say, um, you know, regarding golf courses, USGA, all these different things. Um, so it's it's a must-see TV, I can tell you that. Roger? Oh, it's it sure is. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what Tiger can do uh, you know, after I probably isn't going to do a tournament for what a couple of months, I would think, right? Uh, yeah, he'll okay. build his strength up some more. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I hope he gets a chance to, you know, work some things out and, and uh, you know, physically and, and just sharpen his game. And, and I hope we see him in the majors and, um, you know, maybe a couple other, you know, randoms. But, um, but yeah, um, I, you know, he's been good for a very long time. So I think uh what next week we'll we'll talk maybe a little draft. Um yeah. as we, yeah. uh, we, as we head into that weekend tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well your Ravens yeah. have some holes, so they're looking to they're looking to do some good things in the draft. They've been very, very fortunate as you pointed out. A number Hello. great selections, not only in the first round, but uh, mm-hmm. down deeper in the third and fourth round. To balance out the team, and uh, yeah, 
Well, they're, let's see how they use their draft picks. They've got 10 of them. Nine of them, I think, are in the first four rounds. So, Doug, have a great week. Take you care, partner. Frank, master for job, job as always. God bless, and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, uh, Don. Thank you, Doug. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. It's very important that they know that. It's very tough times for men and women in uniform. The <clears throat> programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Stephanie Robert, Anthony Carroll, Sean Jitt, and Jeffrey Colcott. Patrolman uh, David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Gaswick, Sergeant Thomas Page, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Wilson, uh, Charlotte County Sheriff's uh, Deputy uh, Tom Wilson, Patrolman Charlie Condon, Charlotte Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant George Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris LeVake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman and Officer Chris Winston, PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman Josh Myers, Newcastle County Sheriff's Office. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Fire Trooper Joe Bulletin. Fire Trooper Kelsey Richards. Uh, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, tell you, 10 7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. So that time, may the rose rise up to meet you, and may the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your face, on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great day. Shemarek ma'ilama, Shemahezahilma, Sona Shenevorat Fed, Hakuig again ma'ilama. Breva